0: All said and done, in the middle of my radiation, Shannon was Thanksgiving, and of course, there's the there's normally the Thanksgiving half marathon on Thanksgiving Day in Atlanta, and I was so determined to finish that that half marathon because that would give me the um, the triple peach for the Atlanta Track Club, and so I went out and I ran a half marathon in the middle of radiation treatment. Now, here's what I didn't realize is that the skin breakdown happens. And it's, it's bad from the radiation. So I ran and, you know, the adrenaline's pumping and everything and it was cold out and I was bundled up and everything. And I get home and I took my bra off and the skin came with it.
1: Our stories are what make us unique, but they're also what connect us as human beings. It's time to stop talking and start listening. This is You Talk, I'll Listen with Shannon Chapman. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, but any month is a good time to bring awareness to a disease that will affect about 1 in 8 women over the course of their lifetime and about 1 in 883 men. Besides skin cancer, it is the most commonly diagnosed type of cancer for American women. It also has higher death rates than any other type of cancer for women in the U.S. other than lung cancer. My guest this week, Lindy, is young, under 40, and seemingly pretty healthy, but she's also a breast cancer survivor. (laughs) Lindy, how long ago did you beat breast cancer?
0: So I was diagnosed... June 10th two thousand nineteen and I started treatment and surgery and everything and I completed my journey I guess you could say I think it was December fourth of two thousand nineteen
1: Being so young, how did you even know that something was wrong?
0: So I went to bed one night and as I was laying down, I had an itch and I scratched an itch and it was on my breast and I, it just happened to be the right angle. I was laying down, and I felt something underneath my skin. I immediately shot up, and I, and I felt around for it again, and then I then I felt it. And there was this little, little ball almost underneath my skin, and I, I leaned over and woke up my husband, Tyler, and I said, you've got to feel this. Do you feel this? And he said, yes, yes. I feel that there's definitely something there. So I immediately texted a friend of mine who was also a young breast cancer survivor. And we happened to also go to the same OBGYN. And I I texted her and I said, you know, I found a lump in my breast. Should I go to Dr. Wyndham? And she immediately said, no, let's just go ahead. And I'm going to give you a referral to my breast doctor, go to Dr. Amerson. So I went in for, you know, the scans and everything. And Lo and behold, that that was it.
1: when you went to the doctor, what happened?
0: So I went in, and I had no idea what to expect. i had I've never gotten a mammogram. I'm too young for that to be on the routine. And so they did a mammogram at first, and it was almost like a conveyor belt. You go to this one section of the uh, the doctor's office you get the mammogram. I went to the next section and waited and I had an ultrasound. And then that moment from there, I waited again. And then I went and met with the doctor. The doctor felt it, took a look at the mammogram, took a look at the, the ultrasound and made the immediate decision to go ahead and do a needle core biopsy. So they happened to have an opening right then and there. I went back to the ultrasound. They did the biopsy um, while doing an ultrasound so they can make sure they get the exact tissue that they wanted. And then from there, they put what was called a breast clip in. And it's a little itty bitty marker. Mine was actually the shape of a heart. And so that they can see that in the uh, mammogram. So from the placement of the breast clip, I went back and did a mammogram again. And this was over the course of a six hour appointment. And keep in mind, there's absolutely no music in this place. No TV, no sound, just women going from section to section to section. And I was by far the youngest person there. Everybody else that I saw there was definitely elderly. Um, And so I felt extremely, I guess you could just say, alone in that moment. And then from that moment, I left that day. That was what ended up being a Wednesday. I got a call the next Monday at 8 9 p.m. And it was my physician. She said, you have cancer. So what were you told
1: about the type of cancer you had?
0: So when my doctor called me, she said, you know, this isn't exactly what I had anticipated. And you have breast cancer. And of course, at that moment, I had my phone just up to my ear and I was shaking and I was trying to get my phone to be put on speakerphone so that my husband could hear because my brain just shut down after those words. I ended up having invasive ductal carcinoma. And so that's the actual type of cancer it is. It is inside the duct and invasive means that it had spread outside the original location. So it was, it had gone into the breast tissue at that point. I had a diagnosis of stage one breast cancer and there is five different stages of breast cancer. The first stage is stage zero, and that's non invasive, meaning that it has not invaded any cells outside of the original point. Stage one is when the tumor measures up to two centimeters and it has not spread to the lymph nodes. So it is an invasive cancer that has spread to breast tissue, but it has not gone to the lymph nodes. Stage two is a tumor that is found to be larger than two centimeters, but it has spread to one to three lymph nodes, and those are usually found like in the the armpit area. Then stage three is when you have a tumor that is larger than five centimeters, and it has spread to four to nine lymph nodes. Then stage four is when it is metastatic, and means that that it's advanced and has spread to different organs and parts of the body. Um, and then it was. You know, the moment of just scheduling all the doctor's appointments. She said to come in 7 a.m. the next morning, brings, you know, somebody of support with me. Of course, my husband came with me. And from there, it was just a whirlwind of doctor's appointments.
1: When you were diagnosed, what was running through your mind? Can you describe what that emotional process was like?
0: So the emotional process, I don't know that I've gone through something more difficult than this keeping in mind that I also lost my father when I was younger, you know, we've all gone through different things that are hard in our lives, but this was incredibly difficult because I felt betrayed by my own body. I was very healthy, been working out. I eat well. I mean, I was in the middle of training for a marathon. I was at peak fitness when this happened. And so it was a very strange feeling to, to be mad at your own body. I mean, who are you going to be mad at? Right? There's you can't place the blame on anybody. So I struggled. i I mean, I coped in all kinds of different ways. I, I ran that very next, you know this I was diagnosed on a Monday. I had scheduled a half marathon in Virginia that weekend, and I still went and ran that half marathon, and I had no never ran a race like that. That was my fastest time. And I think it was just because I had so much, maybe I could you could say pent up anger or something where this energy came out and I ran an amazing time on that half marathon. Um, but as, as time went on, I also drank a lot. I also, you know, would fall to the ground crying sometimes. I mean, just all over the place, up, down, up, down. There were times where I felt like I was crazy. Um, it was, it was hard. Emotionally, emotionally really draining.
1: So what was it that kept you from losing it completely?
0: There are times where I felt like I was losing it completely, Shannon. <laughs> I didn't. I still have a roof over my head. I have an amazing career. I have a husband. I have a child. But all that being said, what kept me going was in my family. You know, I have a, I have a son. He was in diapers at the time. You never think you're going to be going through breast cancer and changing diapers at the exact same time. But, you know, making sure that I was there for him. My husband was there for me to pick up the pieces when I just couldn't function in a daily, you know, just the daily things around the house and things of that nature. My assistant at work, she and I are incredibly, incredibly close and, you know, keeping up with, you know, the business and things of that nature, making sure things were going, you know, making sure that I, you know, kept my obligations to her as well (laughs) as a, as an owner of a, a small business and company But all of those things kept me going and also my faith, you know, making sure that I had stayed in touch with, you know, prayer and my relationship with God. That definitely kept me going and kept me from losing it. Didn't answer questions, you know, I still have questions about it. You know, why me? But you try not to play the victim. You don't want to get stuck in that mindset or you can just spiral out of out of control. What type
1: of treatment were you required to do?
0: I met with with different physicians, and I was trying to figure out who was going to be the right doctor for me, um, and making sure that we chose the right treatment plan for myself. Uh, one doctor I went to was at Emory, and the doctor, the oncologist, was very. She came recommended. She was young. She had children. She took a look at everything that uh, my breast surgeon had sent over. And the thing about invasive ductal carcinoma. There's many different factors they're taking into place. So there's something called ERPR positive or negative, and that's a hormone receptor, positive or negative for estrogen or progesterone. And then you have what's called HER2, negative, or positive. And my type of cancer was an ERPR positive HER2 negative. The benefit of that is that it is I was not recommended chemotherapy. The negative to that is that you're not going to be prescribed chemotherapy. <laughs> so when you are in the middle of, of fighting cancer, right, you got your sword up, you're ready to go. And when somebody tells you that, well, this isn't going to affect your cancer, it's confusing because you want to do everything possible to fight it, right? But what's interesting is is that this particular Dr. Emery told me, she looked at me and told me, chemotherapy is not going to affect your cancer But also, my job is to make sure this doesn't come back. And the reason why is because if it does come back, it comes back incurable. And that made me think and go, well, what? And then I realized it's because chemotherapy isn't going to do anything for it. So, you know, it's very interesting just to go through that emotional process. I did not go to that doctor, by the way. Ended up going to one at Northside because I just couldn't stomach the fact of a doctor telling me something wasn't curable. And if that was their mindset going into that, I wasn't down for that. So I ended up going to Northside. The plan for me, what I ended up coming up with with my team of doctors. And if you don't know this, Shannon, you have a team of doctors. You don't just have one doctor. You have a breast surgeon and that's the surgeon that will either do a lumpectomy or a mastectomy. And then you have a plastic surgeon, if you're going to be doing any reconstruction sur- um, surgery as well. Then you have your oncologist, and that's the person that handles all of your medicine throughout the process. And then you have a radiation oncologist, and that's if you have any radiation as well. So my doctors, my team of four, what we came up with was that I would originally do a lumpectomy in an explant because I did have implants before. So I would do a lumpectomy, removing the cancer. With the breast surgeon immediately following, the plastic surgeon would come in, do the explant, do the reconstructive, do the lift. Because I wasn't getting implants again, that would happen. So I would go through that surgery. I spent the night in the hospital over in the Pink Tower at Northside Hospital. Uh, it was a wonderful place, by the way. I mean, I mean for what it is. Like I was treated very, very well. Afterwards, all of my my tumor, my lymph nodes that they took, everything was sent off to the lab. They may, you know, determined exactly what uh, stage the cancer was. And then they also did what's, a, what's called an Oncotype DX score on it. And this is an extra scoring that only one lab in the U.S. does. It's um, over in San Francisco. It takes a few weeks to come back, but it gives you a reoccurrence rate, essentially. And there's a lot of things that are tied into that. Um, and if you're over a certain amount, I believe it's 25, they're still going to recommend um, a different type of chemo for you mine came in lower so I still didn't have to do chemo again and that was all done through my oncologist and then afterwards because I kept some of my breast tissue and opted not to do the full mastectomy they recommended that I do radiation on top of everything so that was the ending point for me I did 36 rounds of radiation at northside hospital it doesn't feel like anything it feels just like if you were gonna go get an x-ray but after time goes on, you start to see the effects of it. Two weeks, all of a sudden, I was very, very tired. I actually had um, a cot at work that I would take a nap in the middle of the day, more so just because uh, I didn't really have to go to work. <laughs> but at the same time, um, I wanted some normalcy. So I would go to work, and they had an extra office set up for me where I could turn the lights off and take a nap. And sometimes I would nap for hours on end. And then I'd get up and pretend to do a little bit more work. And then I would go, you know, go about my, my day. Um, So it was very tiring. It was the skin breakdown. I started to have a lot of skin breakdown. And because I am so determined to finish goals, remember, even after that that diagnosis, I still ran that half marathon. Well, my surgery was August 26th. And I think in mid-August I ran a 10 miler, the Atlanta 10 Miler race as well. After my surgery, the first week that they let me back, let me back into exercising and running was October. And October 14th, I was like, maybe I'll get out there and run and do two miles. We'll see what I can do. I don't really know how I'll feel. Well, I ended up running a half marathon just because I could. And so <laughs> I I don't know. There's something about running for me that kind of keeps me sane and it's almost like my therapy. So all said and done in the middle of my radiation, Shannon was Thanksgiving. And of course there's the, there's normally the Thanksgiving half marathon on Thanksgiving day in Atlanta. And I was so determined to finish that, that half marathon because that would give me the, um, the triple peach for the Atlanta track club. And so I went out and I ran a half marathon in the middle of radiation treatment. Now, here's what I didn't realize is that the skin breakdown happens and it's, it's bad from the radiation. So I ran and, you know, the adrenaline's pumping and everything and it was cold out and I was bundled up and everything. And I get home and I took my bra off and the skin came with it. It was so painful and it burned. My husband had to take me to the hospital and I had to get some they give you kind of like a foam cover that like a foam tape that you can put onto it, silicone and foam. And it was, it was painful. And I'm actually scarred from it. So the areas that my skin was removed from that time, I I still have a, a a scar. It's, it's interesting to look back at it and see that scar to this day. I mean, I'm very, very scarred up from surgery and, but that radiation scar is, is painful. Part of it is like, Lindy, you're, you're stupid. Why did you do that type of scar? (laughs) And the other part of it is just my determination to keep going and not letting anything stop me. That sounds very painful. It was. It was, it was bad.
1: Now that you've done all
0: your treatment, you have a maintenance plan. What is that like? So my maintenance plan now going forward is pretty much I will be seen by some physician in my team every three months. So I get a mammogram on my right breast, and that's the breast that had breast cancer. I will have a mammogram every six months on that breast. Every year, I will have a mammogram on the left breast. So pretty much every other one, I get both, and then I'll get a single. Then I will also get on a three-month rotation ultrasound. On a full year rotation, I will have an MRI on both breasts. So I will continue with that pattern for about 10 years. Wow, that's a long time. It is extremely anxiety-inducing. So the first time that I went back after going through treatment, and I went back for my just checkup of a mammogram and ultrasound and MRI, I went back into the doctor's office, the breast surgeon's office. Remember the conveyor belt I told you about? Where I had to do the mammogram and the ultrasound and the doctor. Okay. Well, that was the location I was at. And yes, it was the same thing that I went to and the same same pattern. But this time it was in COVID world. Oh, gosh. So it was a place that was already silent it there was nobody there it was you would see a few people but like chairs were spread out it was so 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 sterile and when i got into the part where i met with the doctor and i'm sitting there and i'm waiting for the results cuz they give you the results right away only if you're clear that's the thing they always say we're going to give you the results right away well that only comes when you're clear if they're not clear you actually have to wait <laughs> so i was sitting in the room by myself because nobody could come with me. My husband couldn't come with me, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, "Oh my gosh!" Like here it comes, here they come. And like the moment they open that door, I burst into tears. I mean, full blown. Could barely console me, just because it, it just all came at once. They walked in the door, and I don't know what they're gonna tell me. And I'm remembering everything that I had seen before, right? That being there, getting bad news and and here I don't know if I'm getting good news or bad news. They opened that door and they gave me a piece of paper and they said, you are clear. And I looked at them and I was still crying and I'm like, is it crazy that I'm crying? And they're like, actually a lot of women, their first time back cry. It's just you're remembering everything that you went through. And this is so common. And I don't know if they were just telling me that to make me feel better, but it did. And I got a clear report.
1: You said that you were on hormone blockers.
0: So after all of my treatment was done in regards to like radiation, they put me on something called tamoxifen and that is an estrogen hormone blocker. And it's done so that When you have a hormone receptor positive cancer, they wanna make sure that they keep the hormones at bay as much as possible. And you know, if you go online and you read anything about tamoxifen, you're gonna hear horror stories. And unfortunately, that was the case for me. I took it for about three months and I felt miserable. And my oncologist wanted me to take it for a minimum of five years. So because I'm not uh, menopausal, I actually that that's my only choice. That's the only medicine I can take. There are other hormone blockers that you can take if you have gone into menopause, but because I'm not there yet, this is my only my only choice that they recommend. And you know, going through the symptoms and the things that that were bothering me from taking this medicine, my oncologist gave me the green light to go ahead and stop it for a while, and we'll uh, we'll be watching it essentially my hormones every, every quarter, just to make sure that they're not getting too high. What were some of the symptoms you had on that? Oh gosh. Um, thinning hair, weight gain, like really heaviness in my legs. I know that's kind of hard to explain. Uh, but almost like muscle cramps and things of that nature. Um, my period pretty much stopped uh, hot flashes, extreme hot flashes and, and night sweats. I mean, everything that a woman, a young woman wants to feel, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I just felt off. I didn't feel pretty. I felt, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a lot of, I don't know a lot of people that have gone through menopause, you know, in my friend circle. So the people that... Ha- I have talked to that have gone through it, kind of explained it as very similar to going through menopause. And that just didn't seem fair. After everything that I had gone through, I didn't want to go through all of that early and then have to go through it again later. And I was just like, I, I don't want to take it. I don't want to take it. There's some things that, you know, are worth the risk and there's some things that aren't. I mean, clearly I want to be here for my son. I want to be here for my husband. I want to be here for myself, but I also want to live. Like, like I want to live my life. I want to run marathons. I want to be physically fit and just feel alive. And Shannon and I just did not feel alive on that medicine at all. about how long
1: was the process from like being diagnosed to
0: completing your treatment? So typically, what they say is you just need to plan for an entire year out of your life. Uh, for me, though, it ended up being. Seven months because I didn't have I ended up not doing the chemo. But between diagnosis and waiting on the labs and then surgery and then healing from surgery and then going into radiation, that was about seven months. But if you were to do chemo, you need to add about four more months to that. So it was really almost like a year just out of your life, just wiped away.
1: Which part of this process would you say was the worst or the hardest for you?
0: I think the hardest thing for me was dealing with everything emotionally. I mean there's so much support for the physical, you know, things that you go through, the pain, but emotionally, I mean I, I was just a wreck. I wasn't anticipating that much pain emotionally. And then I would also say that something that I wasn't aware of is the pain after radiation. So I actually had I had no physical pain from the radiation treatment other than that skin incident that we <laughs> that we talked about. But now I have so much pain. I actually have a lot of pain in my breast. So if somebody gives me a hug, I have a lot of pain. If I jump, I have a lot of pain. I still run. So I have to, ve- I have to wear a very, very sturdy you know, and tight bra to make sure that I don't have, you know, any bounce. (laughs) But the pain is, it's a very unusual pain. I can't even describe to you what it feels like. I tried to describe it to my, my personal trainer the other day. And I'm like, I just don't have the words. There's nothing that I can compare it to other than the tissue feels very, very tight. And it's the whole breast tissue. It's just, it's a very unusual sensation, but it's painful.
1: So, I was going to ask, you've already talked about some of this. Do you have any permanent or long lasting effects from this, even after being cured?
0: Yes. So, definitely the pain from radiation, that extra just tightness and just aching feeling. But the rest really is you know, cancer changed my life. I am not the same person as I was before getting diagnosed. I'm much more conscious of. What people are going through, the most lasting effect is just the pain in my in my breast tissue now. Like being able to pick pick up my son is such a blessing, you know. Like I took that for granted before. You know, you can just pick up your children, right? And it doesn't hurt, right? It feels good, but for me, it's actually very painful. And I'm constantly reminded every single time that I pick him up that it's painful. I still pick him up, of course, but I mean, I do have that pain and. I took that for granted before. I, I really did. Luckily, he's so young; he doesn't really know. He he knows mommy has a boo boo, and that he has to be gentle. And my husband, he's so sweet. He tells our son Townsend, "You know, mommy's a delicate flower. You ha- you have to be." Uh, soft with mommy. And so he knows that he can rough house with daddy, but he is not going to rough house with mom because when you have flying elbows on a three-year-old, I mean, they always go to where it hurts. <laughs> so that is something that I really wasn't expecting as well. I
1: love that. Mommy's a delicate flower. That's so oh. sweet. When things like this happen, people want to be supportive, but I think that they may not know exactly what to say or do What would you say is like the best way to support somebody who's going through something like this?
0: I think this is such an important question and to answer it is very hard because everybody reacts differently. I have met so many breast cancer survivors through this. There's almost like a community and we're all different and we all have different needs. I'm a very social person and I can share with you what impacted me and what helped me. So knowing that I, I cook all of the food here. You know, I cook all dinners, I'm not saying that my husband wouldn't, and I don't just don't think anybody wants to eat his food. <laughs> so I cook all of the food for dinner. Well, if you take me out of the equation for six weeks from having surgery, not being able to lift up my arms, I mean, I couldn't even put something in the microwave because my hand, I couldn't lift my arms up. Um, I actually lost range of motion in my shoulder. So I didn't even realize it, but I would try to lift up my arm from where I had those lymph nodes removed underneath my armpit. My range of motion wouldn't go all the way up. So it didn't even dawn on me because I just gained that motion so slowly anyways. That was just one of the interesting things that I had found out. But the way that that people supported me was a a meal train for dinner. And it wasn't, you know, I could pay for Uber Eats. That's not the thing. Like, but if you're gonna be healthy, you really don't need to be eating at restaurant food or fast food every single meal. So people supported me and my family by delivering food every single night for six weeks. It was amazing. The outpour of love that I felt from people, it was it was huge. And I don't think people realize why that was so important. And it's because I'm the provider of dinners for my family. And I would have, I know that we would have just eaten Uber Eats every single night if if I didn't have that. So that was such a huge thing for me. Flowers. I do love flowers. Typical girl. I received so many flowers and I felt so loved for that. And I would received little breast cancer trinkets. Now, listen, I've always thought that the breast cancer ribbon was a marketing thing, right? October comes, they call it pink washed. But I'm telling you, and not everybody feels this way. Like even breast cancer survivors are very different on this. But for me, it meant something. It gave me hope. When somebody would give me maybe a bracelet for breast cancer or a cup or a mug, I mean anything like that. I received so many little different things. I mean, I just felt so much love. I mean, Shannon, we have a, um, a mutual friend from high school that I haven't seen since high school, kind of like, you know, you and I that, that sent me a bracelet and it meant the world to me. I mean, people that I hadn't talked to in years, decades, you know, reached out and I just felt an intense amount of love and support because remember in my head, everything was like crazy. Like, I felt crazy. (laughs) I was losing control over my own body. And just to have that sense of, like, hey, we're behind you. I've got you. It meant a lot to me. My husband made these little rubber bracelets and they said, Her fight is my fight. And it had little breast cancer ribbon on it. And so many people wore those. And again, you know, I'm a runner, right? And so the day that I had my surgery, or I shouldn't say the day before my surgery is when I really announced it to most people. Most people didn't even know that I was going through it unless you were very close to me. And I made a Facebook post about running because this is something that I do regularly, anyways. I always post about my runs. And I started off this post with, you know, I run today because tomorrow I can't. And then gave my my story about what was, you know, what was going on, how I found it. And I felt the need to do that to tell people and bring awareness to it because young people can get breast cancer. The typical average age is around 62 years old. And to have breast cancer before the age of 40, you have a less than 7% chance of getting it. And so, you know, young young breast cancer survivors or just people go young breast cancer a diagnosis, um, you've got other things to take into consideration. You have work, you've got usually young children, you've got social lives. It's just you have different needs. So the support that people gave me was phenomenal. But with that post, people started posting and running. And I got people out there running and that felt that felt good too, even though that I couldn't do it, that other people were moved to, to get out there and, and run and exercise and be healthy.
1: That's awesome.
0: So it sounds
1: like what you're saying is just being there um, mm-hmm. and letting that person know that you support them where you're there with them as they fight this battle.
0: Yes. And there's not necessarily a thing to say or don't say, you know, I mean, people ask me questions and listen, I'm social. I'm an open book. So I don't mind if people ask me, but there are people that don't want to talk about it too. I have a very close friend who was going through breast cancer, um, almost simultaneously with me. She had a different type of breast cancer, but she was diagnosed about two or three weeks after me. But she was very, very quiet about it. She actually got off Facebook. She didn't want anybody to know. She lost, she ended up losing her hair and she was very, you know, felt shameful about that. She did not want to be social because when she would wear a wig, she felt like you could tell. And so she just really became a recluse from going through everything. So everybody's different. I just happened to be one that, feels a lot of love and support from other people.
1: And all the mess and the distress that you've gone through, what's the blessing that's come out of this situation?
0: I have become much more giving with my time and with my money. And even with work, we've always given back in certain ways, but I actually became more purposeful. To give back to women going through breast cancer, so I've become laser focused on where I want to help and why I want to help. Because it's not just going through treatment, you know that that women need help. A lot of it is emotional, as we discussed. There's a place called Turning Point Breast Cancer Rehabilitation in Atlanta, Georgia, and it is a wonderful place that helps women with rehabilitation. So if they need physical rehab with, you know, the movement of their arms, because a lot of times, you know, if you go through surgery and mastectomy, you do lose range of motion in your arms, or maybe with massage, there's a lot of side effects from it. If you could get lymphedema in your arm, well, you need extra help with that when you remove the lymph nodes. I mean, all of these different services that they offer, and that's not covered by insurance. So if a a woman can pay for it, that's great, but there's so many women that get breast cancer that don't have the ability to pay for that financially. And so we're able to give back to to this specific the specific cause. And it's obviously near and dear to my heart. And I just was able to tie it through work. And it means a lot to me to be able to do that.
1: You mentioned cost. What is the cost of this?
0: Mm. <laughs> well, it depends on what all you have done. Gosh, I think I think I was lucky and mine was into the six figures. But keep in mind, I didn't even do chemotherapy. And that's extremely expensive. You usually go in probably six to seven rounds. just It depends what kind you have. There's so many different types of cancers, uh, breast cancer. But um, the, my girlfriend that had a triple negative, which is you pretty much have to have every treatment possible and a mastectomy with that. Not always, but that's kind of generally what I hear from, you know, my friends that have had that that kind. I mean, it was a few, a few hundred thousand. It's a, it's a lot of money. Now it was very expensive for me because I also coped with shopping. I mean, Amazon was at my doorstep every, every day <laughs> and that all ties into it. And think about the women that, you know, if they're not working, they don't get paid. So you're going to have that To play as well. I mean, there's so many different things to go into it, but it definitely is a huge, huge financial burden for families and for women.
1: So, Lindy, you found a lump and that's how you knew that something was wrong. But what are some other things that people should look for?
0: Feeling a lump is probably one of the most common ways and that people kind of associate with breast cancer. But a lot of times, those aren't even breast cancer lumps that you feel. So, you have lumpy tissue or you have maybe a cyst. So typically, if you feel pain in that lump or that area, it is not breast cancer, all right? So then that's, that's typical, not to say always, but that can be typical. You can also, if you see dimpling, that could be a sign of breast cancer. Bulging can be a sign of breast cancer. And there's a type of breast cancer called inflammatory breast cancer where you could have a hot um, and red redness and it feels hot. Uh, maybe around the nipple area, there could be changes in skin, almost like a, a rash that can be signs of breast cancer. So typically any type of change, that's what you're looking for. Any type of change in your breast, you definitely want to get it checked out doing that once a month, you know, feel it on the first campaign is so important, just because you may have tissue that could be more dense in some areas, and you don't necessarily feel it all the time. But then overnight, you could just feel a different, a different bump. That's what I felt. I was lucky because it was, it was was on the top of my breast, which is a very rare location for it. A lot of times it's more in the armpit or underneath the breast, but you just never know. And if you do those Monthly checks, you know, on the first, that could, I mean, it could literally save your life.
1: Well, Lindy, I appreciate you being open about this and speaking about it. I actually learned a lot because I didn't know any of those things about, you know, treatment and what you have to go through. So it was very informative for me. And I think it will also be very informative to the listeners. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome.
1: Anytime. Stay tuned for the mic drop moment. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And guess what? It's free. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. My conversation with Lindy this week made me feel overwhelmed. So I can only imagine how people going through this must feel. There are so many different types, different treatments, and different side effects. So many terms, so many doctors, so many appointments, so many possible outcomes. There's a process for diagnosis, a process for treatment, and a process for maintenance. Even after they are cancer-free, survivors can't just put all this behind them because they still have to take extra steps to make sure it doesn't come back. There may also be a lot of pain in doing everyday things that we take for granted, like giving hugs and picking up their child, which is a constant reminder of what they have been through. Now I understand why that pink ribbon means so much to so many women. For some, it's a badge of honor that reminds them that they made it through such a life-changing event and they didn't completely lose it, like Lindy spoke about. It struck me when Lindy described her emotional roller coaster and how she felt betrayed by her body because she was living a healthy lifestyle. She asked the question, Who can you blame? which really has no answer, and that in itself can be hard to process in our human limited minds when even our faith has no direct answers. Some of you listening may be Christ followers like Lindy, and some may not. If you say that you do believe in Christ, you also have to believe that God's plan is perfect and that no matter the outcome, as Romans 8:28 says, all things work for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That being said, Lindy realized that she couldn't focus on all the wise, and instead she focused on her faith, her family, and the people that God put in her life perhaps to help her deal with this very situation. If someone you love is going through this right now and you're wondering how you can support that person, think about who she or he is. Men can have breast cancer too. Some people will openly share what they're going through, but others won't. Some people will proudly sport that pink ribbon while others will avoid it. There's no one right way to support someone going through this. The most important thing is that that person knows you care. Hopefully this episode gave you some insight into the emotional, physical and financial pain that person is experiencing or has experienced. And that will give you a better idea of what type of support that person might need. Lastly, is very knowledgeable about breast cancer and gave lots of information that she learned from her research and experience. However, neither one of us are doctors. So if you feel like something is not right, please see your doctor, get it checked out. This is You Talk's seventh episode. So if this is the first one you've heard, you've got six more episodes to binge and get caught up. There are also more amazing stories to come, so don't forget to subscribe or follow the You Talk I Listen podcast on your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest episodes. Grace and blessings.